On this episode of A State of Control, we talk about building controls. What goes into controlling a whole building? What is a BMS? And what is it going to take for the AV industry to adopt building controls? All that and more on A State of Control. The network for the AV industry. What are you listening to? This. This is AV. This. This. This is AV Nation. This is AV Nation. A State of Control. A State of Control, Episode 47. Second Mouse Gets the Cheese. Support for AV Nation is brought to you by Kramer, AV Beyond the Box. Welcome to A State of Control, an AV Nation podcast that highlights the control, automation, and programming aspects of the audiovisual industry. My name is Steve Greenblatt. I'm your host. Thanks for listening and thanks for joining us today. We have an exciting show lined up for you today, and we're going to talk about a topic that was a buzzword a few years ago, and it, it has never gone away, but it's something that has come up a little bit more in discussions, and that's the idea of full building control and how it impacts the control and programming uh, aspects of the AV industry. Uh, so more on that to come. But before we get to that, I want to introduce my guest today. And first, I'll start off by my partner at Estate of Control. His name is Rich Fergoza, and he's also known as Uncle Richie. How are you, Rich? I'm good. I'm good. Mellow uh, summer West Coast greetings. So it's, uh, it's a balmy 73 here. So I'm kind of digging the downtime. Very nice. And second is a someone I know for a bit, and he's been a past guest on AV Week. His name is Stephen Lamphere, and he's from Barco. How, how are you today, Steve? Thanks for joining us. Yeah, happy to be here. Thank you for making me a part of it. Excellent. And last but not least, he it comes to us as a uh, control professional, uh, and he has a specialty in building controls. His name is Will Rontree from Siska Hennessy Group. How are you today, Will? I'm doing great, Steve. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Thank you. So as I mentioned in the opening, uh, integrated building control systems is not something new. It's something that's been around and, and it's outdated. It's, it's been, uh, been in existence long before AV control systems. And when I talk about those, I'm talking about um, everything from lighting and shades and HVAC to security and public displays and life safety and so forth. Um, so that was something that was discussed a lot uh, in, in years previous, and, and we were uh, looking at the idea of how, how does that impact what we do. And, and I think it's come up a little bit more in conversation now because you know, the AV that we've been dealing with maybe is a little less challenging and a little less complex. So we have to look at what we can do to enhance that and, and also maybe focus a little bit more on a full user experience. So Rich, I'll, I'll uh, kick this off with you. When you're thinking about building controls and, and controlling a full building, um, is this something that's feasible and, and, and how, how is this uh, becoming a part of what we do? 
Well, I, I think what's interesting about it is that, you know, it, it's the scale of building control is the thing that fascinates me the most. Uh, you know, again, we're, we're, I'm just outside of San Francisco. And, you know, we have, you know, I, I, 800,000 people in San Francisco and, and, and San Francisco is small. And just recently what's been happening is that, you know, there's no new land. You can't spread out. So the only way to go is up. Um, New York has had this, you know, for a century at this point, but there are a lot of urban areas that what's happened is that originally when, you know, you had some of these buildings, they were smaller. Maybe you weren't as conscious of the energy requirements or um, the distribution of energy and conservation and all of these things. And what, and, but when you're dealing with a 50 story skyscraper, uh, you know, a 40 story skyscraper, these massive buildings that consume huge amounts of energy, um, that's always been at the forefront of it, but, what, but, the, but the technology was so cost prohibitive to be able to accurately take care of it. You know, you, you needed to find a way to generate huge savings to uh, be able to implement BMS. Um, in smaller buildings, it was, you know, somebody would run around with a thermostat or running around turning off the lights or, you know, whoever, whoever was the last one out turned off the lights was always a joke, right? Um, but what I've seen, and it's interesting, is that from the residential side, what's bubbled up is with thermostats and lights and, and, and IoT, um, it is something now that not only the building manager, the landlord, but now the, the tenants of these buildings are looking at ways and, and going, how can we be energy conscious? How can we track what we're using? How can we use it efficiently? And all of a sudden, this data and these metrics become available to a whole lot more people, and they're, they're aware of it. So I think where, where it's, it's really on an uptick is the fact that people are aware of it, and people are trying to be energy conscious. And it's coming not only from, again, like I said, from, from the, the, the landlord side down, saying, you know, how can we cut down our $100,000 a month electric bill? But, you know, everybody who's maybe in a workspace saying, hey, you know, we're, we're, we're not working efficiently. Um, so, so that's exciting. I, I mean, I, I, again, we're, we're seeing... Um, a very fast increase in just the past five years, really, than we had seen in probably the 25 years before that. So, Steve, I'll, I'll jump over to you. Um, Rich talks a lot about the ROI and, and the energy management and, and costs. Is that, what, is that what's driving this, or is there, there more to it? I think that's a big driver. Um, I actually had a customer that I was speaking with recently who has about 200 conference rooms. And they said, you know, if we could just better manage the lights, the single display that's in that room in the HVAC, we'd save about $1,000 per room per year. You know, that's almost a quarter million dollars. So energy savings is definitely a big aspect of it. Uh, I think the other two drivers behind that are being more proactive, you know, knowing what's happening with all those devices, being able to monitor them, know it's, you know, what issues may be arising, uh, watch developing trends, be able to be proactive about how you're maintaining those buildings. And then for me, one of the big things, kind of the third leg of it is uh, transparent experiences. You know, it's being able to take all this information that we have from all the different devices uh, and then throw in data from exchange and things like RSS weather feeds and, and um, the time of day. Uh, and then be able to predict um, where people are going to be congregating in the building, be able to do zone HVAC control, things like that. So we're actually creating better experiences, 
instead of somebody running and responding because somebody says they're too hot, now we're actually being proactive and make, making things comfortable and, and adjusting things ahead of time to, to anticipate that. And I think for me, that's a big piece of what smarter buildings are all about, are being able to respond to those type of events or respond to security related events. You know, so we know that, um, you know, certain campuses when the CEO is on campus or one of the board members is on campus, that that particular building that they're in goes on lockdown. So being able to look at RFID readers and then put a building automatically on lockdown because a certain person is present or because we know that they will be present because of exchange or some other data. I think uh, those are all part of smarter buildings in so, the experiences that we can create with better AV control integrated with that building control piece of it. So, Will, uh, enlighten us a little bit. We, we, I know that we probably oversimplify what goes into these things as far as building controls and, and buildings can't exist without them these days. But where, how, what, what, should, what do we need to know to be able to bring them into our world of the, the AV control and, and, how, and, and, and the marriage of the two, what, what value can, can be provided? So uh, I, I agree with what Rich and Steve were saying, um, but the, from what I've seen in my experience, the single largest um, hurdle to getting more advanced technologies in building management systems, uh, believe it or not, it's, it's almost the result of uh, psychology. Because essentially what you have is facilities managers. Um, at this point, most of the facilities managers are, you know, older guys, real old school guys. And a lot of them, even nowadays, um, if they have a building that still operates with a pneumatic system, you know, there's no central point of control. Everything is, you know, completely standalone and operates entirely mechanically, pneumatically. These guys are even hesitant to go to even a DDC-based BMS even without things like IoT or integration into lighting, power management, any of that kind of stuff. Even without those features, they're hesitant enough to go into, you know, even a DDC-based BMS. And uh, I, I think there are two reasons for this, essentially. Um, the first is simply as, you know, a lot of these guys get older, they just, you know, they fear uh, the technology before them because they don't understand it. And then the other reason is they're actually afraid of this technology because they feel like they're going to be replaced. You know, there's a lot of talk nowadays about the automation of a lot of jobs. And, you know, automation will take away some jobs, but the reality is with regards to facilities management, it's gonna be a long, long time before that's fully automated. You still need the human touch in there. And they need to be better educated. And I, I put the onus on the vendors and manufacturers to do this, they need to be educated that the systems are being installed. They're not to replace what they do, it's to augment and enhance what they can do. That's the whole purpose. It's just trying to make their job easier, trying to make them more efficient. That, that, that is the end goal. And then the building management industry, uh, unfortunately, it, it basically, with regards to technology, it follows the, the idea of, um, you know, the early bird gets the worm, but the second mouse gets the cheese, okay? No BMS manufacturer wants to be the first one out there with complete automation, complete integration to everything, you know, very you know, ultra-modern BMS. 
because it will be completely rejected by the people that you need to sell it to. The facilities managers will be completely uninterested in it. And all you'll end up with is a failure of a company that 20 years down the line will be given the title of they were ahead of their time. You know, that like they they will set the high watermark for what everyone else will aspire to, but they themselves will ultimately fail by being the first out of the gate. Because the industry itself, it's not a proactive industry when it comes to innovation, it's reactive. It's very much driven by what their customers are interested in, and they will innovate very, very little outside of that because they have a very hard time selling anything outside of that. But what we're seeing more and more now is pressure from the clients who actually, you know, work with the facilities managers. I, I can think of, uh, you know, a company that I know, uh, one of the largest BMS uh, manufacturers in the country, uh, in the world as well, actually. They did a residential building in New York City over the last couple of years. Very, very high-end condos. I think the average asking price of the condos was somewhere between 3 and $4 million. And once people started moving in, they asked very simply almost all of the tenants, okay, how do I control the thermostat with my phone? And what the BMS manufacturer said was, we can't do that. We don't have the technology to do that. Our hardware simply is not capable of it. So that was a very large wake-up call. That This became a problem that they had to address because now you're interacting with more than just the facilities managers. You're interacting with people who, you know, having worked with iPhones and Android phones for years and years now, they expect the latest, greatest technology. So it's going to be a battle between the facilities managers who want something as mechanical and rudimentary as possible and the people who actually occupy the buildings who want something state-of-the-art. So slowly, as the older facilities managers get to retirement age and, you know, newer, younger facilities managers brought in, it's going to cause a paradigm shift in the building management world where it's going to be more and more technology driven. I mean, realistically, with HVA systems, the mechanical, the electrical side of it, you know, there hasn't been any innovation in there in, in decades. Like, th that's just very, very fundamental stuff. Where the innovation will take place is on the control side. So as we're seeing more and more of this, building management systems, building automation itself will change. And what we're going to start to see is much more convergence in building management systems, AV systems, lighting systems, power systems. It's going to eventually all come together because that is what everyone will want. So it, it sounds to me like it, it's, it's kind of that, that uh, age old challenge that uh, it, it, you know, it's user driven, but the, the, but, but the adoption has to be there in order for, for the, that, that connection to be made. And, Absolutely, and, yeah. It's it's an awkward position to be in. So, um, following up on that, uh, what what do you think it, it you know aside from from you know a di different way of thinking, wh where where do you see the um, the challenges existing in in bringing this down to a level where it it can be part of of what we do. So what I have seen from um, a lot of BMS manufacturers the last few years is they won't completely open up their code, which is totally understandable, but they're at least starting to use open, open APIs now. 
Um, so what they're giving, you know, the clients, the customers at this point is choice. You know, you can use hardware from one, from one manufacturer and then you can use a graphics package from a third party if, you know, you want very particular graphics, for example. And it's also going to allow, you know, third party hardware people to also integrate into the building management systems. They're opening their architecture up, not fully, they're, you know, they're going to retain their, their IP, obviously, but they're opening it up enough to stay competitive because they're all starting to do it. That's the direction the industry is headed in. So once everyone moves towards open architecture, you're going to see a lot more compatibility between the large-scale BMS manufacturers and then the smaller industries that just have, you know, some equipment here and there. You know, AV would be one for sure. So, Steve, I'll, I'll jump over to you because you know um, Will mentioned uh, you know uh, you know open APIs and 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 being able to to be more compatible. Um, I know that this this is a world that you live in and a world that we live in. Um, is is the industry that that we are are working in? You know, some, something that is ready to to uh, dive into to a challenge like this. So we, uh, and 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 how do you see? You know, I, I know you talked about the user experience. Um, what what's it going to take for uh, for us to really capitalize here? Yeah. So yeah, I think users expecting better outcomes is definitely a big driver here, uh, as Will was talking about. So um, definitely has to happen, but then you do have all these different technologies and you have things on simplex and back net and everything else. And so the ability for something to sit in the middle of that and talk to all those different technologies via their native standard protocols, I think is really important, but also endeavors like uh, Haystack that's, in, that's trying to take and create a standard for how all these different devices should report back their data and their status and, use common naming conventions. I think those are, are part of it as well. So, um, so absolutely there's opportunity there for us to go in and um, to do that. But, you know, my philosophy you know, and the philosophy of, of Barco that I work for has been very much a let's get away from a lot of customization and a lot of and move towards more standardized, more harmonized drivers. The Haystack thing that I just mentioned but also move more towards um, architecture that really is a, a friendlier so that people aren't intimidated. So we'll talk a lot about the, uh, the technology fear factor that exists. And I think a lot of that is because everything has been custom programmed uh, with custom UIs, and then that gets in the hand of a, of a facilities manager. And you know maybe something's a little bit different than it was uh, programmed six months ago because there was a different programmer by the, by the person that provided that programming. So creating these really consistent experiences, things that are almost template-based, uh, I think is going to help eliminate a lot of that and move away from things being very, very custom. So that when there needs to be a change, uh, you can be very agile about making that change instead of having to go back to somebody and, and incurring a lot of expensive uh, changes uh, and instead, just being able to go, oh, I actually know what this change needs to be. I can do that myself. So make make things really tool, uh, make the tools very friendly, very intuitive, um, and invite the 
the, the managers of, of those facilities and others that are actually going to be touching the hardware and interacting with those devices, make it very inviting for them and not intimidating. So, and you know, even in simple AV control rooms, I've, I've been, you know, an AV manager publishes a PowerPoint. Here's how to manage the hardware in this space. You know, and uh, it's almost crazy that there's like a 30 page PowerPoint to show somebody how to turn on the, the power, power on a display and get audio to the lectern. You know, it's crazy. And so that I think automation comes with that a lot, which is kind of what we touched on at the beginning is, um, you know, let's automate these experiences based on all that information available so that people don't have that intimidation factor. So it sounds to me like the, the, the idea or the direction that building controls are going in could, could be a positive influence on, on what we do in terms of, you know, keep, keeping things less custom, but, but and more open and, and, and more, more familiar, I guess, or, or yeah. consistent from, from system to system. Yeah, I think consistency and automation, you know, just let's take the, the human factor out of it where we can. Let's anticipate things and build automated experiences around it so that when you do have to go in and make a change, it's easy for you because of the consistency, but hopefully you don't have to do that. Hopefully things are automated enough that uh, the building is smart enough to respond to you. So Rich, um, what, we, you know, we talked a little bit about energy management. We talked a little bit about you know the fact that there, there's a real need here. Um, how come we're not seeing more of of, of this happening? And and um, and what what is it? A, is it a selling issue? Is it a technology issue? Is it just a mindset issue? What do you think? Uh, I think it's twofold. I think one is that the concept is great but the actual time that's required and the cost that has to be paid to somebody um, is not necessarily palatable. Um, you know, it's, it's it, you know, when we talk about savings, you know, it's great. You know, you could save X, Y, Z, you know, over the course of a year and you're going to amortize it. And, you know, again, um, uh, you know, I, I would say, St you know, Stephen brought up a great point. It's like, you know, 200 conference rooms, $1,000 a year, $200,000 savings. Great, you know, so the first thing they think is, wow, we just saved $200,000. Didn't occur that there's actually gonna be a cost to get to that point. So all of a sudden, when you say you will save X, in order to get there, it is going to take Y, and time and cost and development and hardware and software and all of these things. And then all of a sudden people kind of go, well, maybe it's just okay how it is, uh, which that is a common conversation that occurs. Um, so, so, so that is a huge hurdle to overcome. And, and that's with automation in general. That's with anything that we do in part of this industry is when we are facilitating and streamlining. And, you know, it, it all comes down to, you know, where those, those threshold points are and where the value add is. And uh, depending on where you are with the decision maker um, on this is really going to leverage um, how much you can push out. In residential, it's a little bit easier. Um, it's a smaller scale. Um, we have different tools. There, there's, there's just, there's different factors to deal with it. Um, and, and, you know, there's a big difference between a 3,500 square foot house and a 45,000 square foot house. And, and, you know, we will have 
BMS systems in those places. And there is, you know, light harvesting and protecting artwork and, uh, you know, everything that we were talking about before, you know, based upon, um, you know, whether you see precipitation coming, whether, you know, you're dealing with your sunrise and your sunset. I mean, all of these things that occur that um, benefit somebody's lifestyle People working in an office, and again, people aren't as attached to their office, and they're not necessarily as tuned into the cost it takes to run their office, because it's not necessarily an out-of-pocket expense. They're not going to be necessarily as vocal about it. They'll appreciate it. They think it's cool. Um, but when you're dealing with act the actual sell-through, Yes, it does require a, a much more considered effort. And the issue right now is that we have the BMS systems manufacturers. We have those contractors, those developers. They're one camp. We have the other side with the integrators and, and, and the software developers on our side. And we're not all necessarily speaking as a unified front. We're getting better where we're starting to speak with one another. We're talking about common APIs. We're seeing these things start to happen, but there is not necessarily industry-wide in terms of communication between industries. There's personal relationships, there's professional relationships, but there are not industry relationships that are driving this forward that says, automation manufacturer XYZ will work with BMS manufacturer XYZ, this is how we do it. Here's the four case studies. This is how we've shown it. And this is how we have been able to effectively keep the costs down by this. That's a tough one. So what's happening is it's, ha it's it, on the front lines. You have, uh, you know, you have companies who are doing it in order to promote themselves as the value add proposition, but industry-wide, we're just not seeing it yet. And that one, I, 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 you know, I scratch my head on that one. Yeah, it really kind of, it, it, everything that you're saying sort of reminds me of what Will said at the outset. That's, you know, we have to have those common APIs move away from things that are so proprietary that it becomes, you know, de rigueur, it becomes required that you actually have somebody there to do the customization at every single level. And that's where the expense comes. But, you know, those open APIs, common APIs, Movie, help us move away from things that are very, very proprietary to, to things that are very open so that creating things that don't have a lot of expense associated with it becomes more realistic. Uh, because right now, it's if everything's proprietary and you have to get certified on every one of those proprietary platforms and then take weeks to figure out how to integrate them, it just doesn't make sense. And that's where they really, that's why it is so expensive to do all that programming. So moving away from those things to things that are really common, as, as you mentioned, well, I, I, I think it has to happen. I think it's going to help the industry develop um, much more quickly as people move towards that, um, you know, more standards-based approach. Oh, yeah. Uh, I mean, to, to echo what Steve and Rich were saying, uh, I was working on a project a few years ago where um, – Early on in construction, the building management system had the boiler plant system going. Um, and an important part of a boiler plant system is to know the outside air temperature. And the problem is uh, they didn't have the weather station installed yet. So they weren't directly reading the outside air temperature. And it wasn't going to be installed for quite some time because even the roof structure was still being uh, you know, put together, still being erected. It wasn't completely finished yet. So 
they needed this information, didn't yet have a way to do it. And what they ended up doing is uh, purchasing a piece of software that fundamentally is very simple, goes out to the internet, uh, grabs the, um, the outside temperature from you know, presumably weather.com and just plants it into the BMS. And that's how they were using the system for a while. And for that simple piece of software, they paid $9,000. And I thought to myself at the time, first off, damn, I wish I'd known they were working on that. I could have made the same thing in the same hour for $8,000. But secondly, they really need to get, you know, the industry as a whole needs to get their act together. Like it shouldn't require such a ridiculous specific piece of software to get the outside air temperature. Anyone can look up an outside air temperature on their phone in a matter of seconds, but to get it in a BMS, it costs thousands and thousands of dollars, literally thousands. And I couldn't believe that when that happened. So like Steve was saying before, uh, one of the movements that's going on now is Project Haystack, which is uh, a, you know an overall approach towards um, unifying uh, point names and more importantly, uh, metadata tagging and point descriptions. Because I've seen systems where if you work on, uh, you know, a building management system was installed in an estate where there was five different buildings. And if you do it quickly, you have five different programmers, five different engineers working on those buildings. And what you end up at the end of it is five different sets of naming standards and descriptions because there is no unified standard. So if you incorporate something like Project Haystack, which has been incorporated in Tritium for a while now, and is being incorporated into BACnet, um, what you'll end up with is you don't necessarily need the exact same name for point names. You don't necessarily need the exact same name for point descriptions because the metadata tagging, all the information behind the scenes is uniform. And so when you aggregate all that data, you put it all together, the servers, the head end is going to be able to understand what points are like and what points are different. Also, when we standardize these types of things, uh, like Steve was saying, it's not just going to make it more friendly for people, uh, you know, just trying to connect to the industry, people just putting their, uh, their two cents in, trying to get their technology to work in conjunction with the BMS. Even for established professionals, it's just going to allow them to work more efficiently. You don't have to work off a naming scheme, a description scheme. It's already done for you. So even professionals will be able to accomplish their work more quickly and more efficiently because of these types of standards. So as these standards start to roll out and become more and more incorporated, overall, it's just gonna make things better for everybody inside BMS and then everyone outside BMS who's trying to link into the BMS world. I love it. Imagine if, uh, you know, if the cell phone industry had done that, you know, in the U.S. Okay. we have all these different cell phone standards, but in Europe they don't. If the AV industry had done that, you know, and even in the AV industry, people sometimes feel trapped by their control solution. Uh, but if that standard that you're just talking about right now, um, well, I think will be a huge differentiator for as the people buy into it, uh, the technology is has got a nice foundation to work from. So I, I Absolutely, really, yeah. yeah. 
Well, guys, I think that's a uh, good ending point for today, but I appreciate the lively conversation. And uh, I think that this is going to provide a good basis for future uh, show topics and, and future conversations in the industry. I certainly learned a few things, and I think that our audience will as well. So uh, with that, I'd like to thank our guests for being here today. First, uh, I'd like to thank Stephen Lamphere from Barco. Steve, how can people get in touch with you, learn more about Barco, and learn more about Overture and the things that you're doing? Yeah, you can find me on LinkedIn. It's uh, Stephen Lamphere on LinkedIn with Barco, or you can email me. Uh, my last name is L-A-M-P-H-E-A-R, first name Stephen with a V at Barco.com. Thank you. Very good. Uh, Will Rotary, thanks for being with us today. How can people get in touch with you, learn more about Siska Hennessy and the things that you do? Uh, sure. Thank you for having me on. Uh, you can visit our website, syska.com. Uh, you can email me personally, w-r-o-a-n-t-r-e-e at syska.com, or you can uh, find me on LinkedIn as well. Very good. Thank you. And last but not least, uh, Rich Fergosa, thanks for another great show. Rich, how can people get in touch with you? Uh, well, obviously, you can find us here. You can find us on AV Nation, either here or on a uh, Resi Week. Uh, you can also find me at FregosaDesign.com, or uh, probably the best way is the Twitters, uh, at rfregosa, R-F-R-E-G-O-S-A. Um, and otherwise, type my name into the Googles, and something will pop up. It always does. Uh, but yeah, great information. I, mean, I, I definitely love this. Very good. Thank you. Um, so my name is Steve Greenblatt. You can follow me on social media as simply at Steve Greenblatt or visit my company, Control Concepts, at controlconcepts.net. Um, and please take some time to go visit the Aviation website. Uh, there's a whole bunch of great shows, uh, including a, the ITAV show, Connected, a couple of uh, uh, others that I think would be very uh, pertinent to this audience, and the flagship shows of AV Week and Resi Week. Uh, so check those out. And I'm also a big fan of the AV profession. Um, while you're at the website, visit the underwriters. Uh, they want to hear from you, and they help us to do what we do. So... Um, Thanks for being with us. Please leave a comment, leave a message. Let us know you're out there. Uh, leave a review, and we'd love to hear from our audience and, and uh, know what you want to hear more about and, uh, and possibly even if uh, there's some good guests out there that want to join us. So I uh, look forward to that. And until next time, this has been A State of Control.